constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the program. I'm Rick Benson. With me is Zach Barletta, and this is the Beyond the Game program. Sports talk without the trash talk. October 14th, 2017, the year has flown by. It was this date 25 years ago, 1992. Sid Bream, Liberty University's own Sid Bream, sliding across home plate with the winning run sent the Atlanta Braves into the World Series as they beat the Pittsburgh Pirates. Sid Bream, his quote is this, prayer prepares your heart to go out and share your faith, but it also gives you an opportunity to ask God to lead, direct, and guide you to those who you can share with when you are to share and how you are to share. That's Sid Bream. Remember that game 25 years ago? Do you remember that, Zach? I do not. That was a great game. That I mean, was, I know of it. I've seen the highlights and stuff, but I was not of the age. So. I remember where I was when I was watching that game. It was a tremendous baseball game, almost as good as the one we saw earlier this week when the beloved pinstriped New York Yankees came back to win against the Cleveland Indians. Who would have thought that? I was actually talking to a couple of guys last weekend. We got to talk in baseball. And I'm a Yankees fan. I says, listen, this Cleveland Indians team is just too good. I mean, it's possible, but it seems so unlikely that the Yankees could come back from a 2-0 deficit. I mean, maybe they'll win one at home, as Boston did, but but man, they got it done. And people that rose to the occasion, Mm -hmm. Didi Gregorius was tremendous. And how much fun is he? Oh, he's a blast. He might be my favorite player now. He's got such an electric smile, and he just seems to have such a good time that, you, man, you can't help enjoy watching him play. And it was interesting that Austin Jackson was on the other side for the Cleveland Indians because he was involved in that trade that brought Didi to New York and replacing Derek Jeter. You remember Derek Jeter? Most of us have forgotten him by now because <laughs> Didi Gregorius is perhaps the best shortstop in the history of the New York Yankees. He certainly, and I know I'm going to catch flack for this, but I I think he's already a better defender than Derek Jeter ever was. He's just so smooth and so good out there at shortstop. You know, obviously I jest about him being the greatest in the history of the New York Yankees, but he's pretty stinking good. Mm-hmm. And he is rising to the occasion. And obviously we have not forgotten Derek Jeter, but it has become much easier to move past him. And especially since he's a Miami Marlin now, so who cares? <laughs> we're going to take all our Derek Jeter stuff and send it to Miami because we're Didi Gregorius people. If you were writing the script, you wouldn't have written two home runs off Corey Kluber, who's probably going to win the Cy Young this season. No way. I mean, as much as I love Didi Gregorius, that was a, pretty much impossible to see coming. He has just blossomed, transitioned his game, mm-hmm. and it's a natural fit there for Yankee Stadium. He had 25 home runs this year. 
Yeah. He has just reestablished himself. I don't know if that's really the right word, but just reinvented himself, I guess, because when he came to New York, you were thinking, well, this is a stopgap. This is somebody that can get us through for a couple of years, but he's only something like 26, 27 he's years old. Yeah. He's 27. He's a young man with a lot of baseball in front of him, mm-hmm. barring injury, of course. And here's a guy that, all right, we're, when the trade was made, you were glad you had a shortstop because at the time there was nobody there to fill Derek mm-hmm. Jeter's spot. But you thought this is a guy that can field. But he hit, again, as I just said, 25 home runs, and he hit these two in big-time situations. I, that's a big situation. You think of all the big moments Derek Jeter has. This was a big moment for Gregorius. Yeah, and here's a guy who's, you know, just a couple of years ago was looked at as a defensive shortstop who'd be a number nine hitter and be just about nothing with the bat. Here he is hitting third and fourth in the Yankees lineup in the American League Division Series. It's it's. He's really developed in a way that nobody expected. He and the rest of the young Yankees are just so much fun to watch. It makes it very entertaining to watch the game. And you would have thought maybe be a little concerned heading into the playoffs that the pressure might be a bit much on some of these young guys, but that hasn't been the case, has it? No, and I've had people mention that to me that, you know, I'm just worried about, you know, these kids, they'd never been in the playoffs and whatever, and and that they'd be under a lot of pressure. And I thought, you know, they're such a good nucleus to this team that I thought, I think they'll be all right. And they were doing stuff like the Toe Night Show where they're doing the fake interviews and the dugout (laughs) stuff. And they're just, they're so loose. And and while you saw Judge and Sanchez not swing the bats especially well in this series, you never saw them look like they were pressing. You know, you still see them loose, still celebrating things with their teammates, like what we talked about. Still having fun. It's baseball. It's supposed to be fun. Right. You know, and you thought maybe we'd see them get uptight and press and and really struggle. and, and But you saw, like we said, Gregorius been on fire. Severino threw a gem in his start, you know, at 23 years old. You know, these kids, the stage doesn't look too big for them. You're a Yankee fan as am I. You would have been content probably losing the division series. Knowing that there's so many young prospects, the team is so young that there weren't, they weren't built to win a title this year. Nobody suspected that, but getting into the playoffs, getting to the division series, you would have been satisfied with that, but they're ahead of schedule. Yeah. I I could see them beating Houston. Yeah. I think when you get to the point where you're one of the last four teams standing, I think you have to be considered a legitimate contender to the title. And, you know, like you said, the expectations before the season were nothing like this. We saw a lot of publications predict them for a last place finish in the East. I think we on the show said, why are they spending money on a closer like a Roldis Chapman when they're a rebuilding team? Well, now a few months later, we see why they needed a closer like that. But Well, credit Brian Cashman for having that insight. He has done a terrific job putting this club together and putting it together for the next few seasons. And I think you saw a little bit of the character of that team where they didn't fold against Cleveland. Down two games to none, it's easier to fold up your tents, especially after the way game two went. would have been Mm -hmm. easy to just fold up and go, but they didn't do that. And you saw that all season when they would inch close to the Red Sox, and then they'd fall back to five games out, four games out, six games out, whatever it was. Then they'd inch back up. What did they end the season? Two games out? Yeah, they made it close right down to the wire. The Red Sox couldn't take their foot off the pedal coming down the stretch. Yeah, they they, they went had to look the, over their shoulder. They went into the last series of the season with a chance to take the division. And you can't ask for more from a group of kids like this. Look out for the New York Yankees. If you're hearing our show for the first time, we welcome you in. We want you to know 
that you can find out more about our program, find out more about this radio ministry at our website, btgprogram.com. That's btgprogram.com. Give us a follow on social media at BTG Program. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game Program. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that can pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. Just a reminder, Grace Baptist Church in Brockport, New York, is having their couples conference. Probably a little late to get out there today, but tomorrow morning for church service, try to get there. Our good friend Don Gordon will be speaking, former Major League pitcher, 5220 Lake Road South. He'll be speaking tomorrow morning in church. Go out and say hello. And if you haven't heard our interview with Don, you can go back and play it. You can find that on our social media page, Facebook, at Beyond the Game. What is, what is our Facebook? I guess this is Beyond the Game, right? Yep. BTG Program. You can find us on Twitter at BTG Program. I'm sure it's there, too. The NBA season is set to kick off this week. A lot of drama this offseason, more so than I remember in any recent season, at least any recent season that didn't involve a LeBron James, LeBron James. changing teams. <laughs> there are a lot of other players changing teams, though. Holy uh, cow. A lot of them. And, and next season, there is going to be pr plenty of speculation about where LeBron will go, if he will go, should he opt to leave Cleveland. But when the season tips off, we'll see Carmelo Anthony starting a new era in Oklahoma City with the Thunder, which brings an end finally to that <laughs> what had become really a soap opera in New York. Oh, yeah. And, of course, now the Knicks can move on and start in full the Kristaps Porzingis era. The surrounding cast around Porzingis is good, pretty good, but not great. But with Anthony gone, the Knicks can kind of begin to begin shaping their future. 
The biggest splash of the offseason, though, was probably that blockbuster trade between the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Boston Celtics that saw Isaiah Thomas sent out to Cleveland and Kyrie Irving sent to Boston, who made headlines this past week talking about Boston being a real sports city, which that didn't bother me too much. I, I know Cleveland fans took that as a slight to them, and of course, naturally they would, but I honestly saw that as more of just probably playing to the new home crowd, trying to warm them up a yeah, little bit. you got to say stuff like that. I would agree. But from a fan's perspective, Thomas, though, he he seemed like he really enjoyed being a Celtic. He liked mm-hmm. being there. He seemed to love the city. His friendships with teammates looked, again, from an outside perspective, from a fan's perspective, those friendships seemed to run deep. And while we haven't heard much from the principals involved in that trade, at least until this week when we started to hear from Irving a little bit, Sports Illustrated had a report on an exchange between Thomas and Celtics head coach Brad Stevens after the trade where Stevens texts Thomas admitting to being somewhat lost on how to respond. Quote, I've been looking at this wall for five hours trying to figure out what to say to you, SI quote Stevens is saying. And their story continues that after... And I didn't realize this, that after Thomas had left Sacramento in 2014, and then again when he left Phoenix the following year, carried a lot of bitterness towards those organizations after he was let go. Now, we can say all we want to say about, look, you need to, you need to grow up. You need to get a hold of yourself. You know, it's part of the business of pro sports. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you've made friendships and you've established roots in a place and those roots are suddenly pulled up, you know, I think saying you just, Got to accept the trade. It's part of the business. Is easier said than done, especially for a young man who's still new in this professional career. But apparently this young man has grown. He has matured. Perhaps he's learned that the distance of in a relationship doesn't mean that that friendship has to end. As the saying goes, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. According to SI, there's no bitterness this time around for Isaiah Thomas. There's no grudge. There's no axe to grind. Thomas is quoted as saying that, Boston is all love. Well, I guess so. You know, all love with the exception of general manager Danny Ainge. He's not getting any love. His quote, nope. this is what Thomas says about Ainge. Quote, I might not ever talk to Danny again. That might not happen. I'll talk to everybody else. But what he did, knowing everything I went through, you don't do that, bro. And you can kind of understand a little of the bitterness I suppose any time you get traded, you can understand it. Now, we know there's circumstances that go into a trade. There's a lot of things that go into trade. But at the end of the day, Zach, the team is saying, we don't want you. Maybe they're saying, look, we wish you all the best. Thanks for everything you did. But we'd rather have this other guy. But we'd rather have this absolutely right. They're telling you you don't fit. And that's got to hurt. There again, Isaiah Thomas, you remember what he went through during the playoffs. As the Celtics are moving through the playoffs, he's fighting a hip injury. He's also dealing with the pain of his sister's death. I mean, he was dealing with a lot, but yet he was committed to the Celtics and he was committed to his teammates. And I can see where this trade might be a little harder to accept. Mm-hmm. But again, those friendships are in place, so he's not he's not holding a grudge against any of the players. No doubt he's holding it against Ainge. But Ainge had a job to do. Mm-hmm. He made a trade that he thought that he believes will make his team better, and he's probably right. He didn't trade Thomas because he didn't like him. Mm-hmm. He traded him because he wanted to improve the Celtics. But while feeling betrayed and maybe wanting to stick it to Ainge a little bit like he wanted to do with Sacramento and Phoenix, 
He still has people on the Celtics that he cares about. He still has friendships there that uh, apparently run pretty pretty deep. They're important to him. There are certain to be new friendships there in Cleveland, no doubt about it. But I'm sure the Cavs welcomed him. If they knew how he felt when he left Boston and knew how uh, knew the pain, how he left Sacramento and Phoenix, I bet they took a little extra effort in making him feel welcome, rolling out the red carpet so that right from the very start he felt at home, that he felt like he could make connections and, and, and be comfortable here. But, you know, you get to thinking about that and you start wondering, wouldn't it be cool if churches did that the same way? Most churches get their fair share of visitors. People stop by throughout the year. But how many of those visitors actually return the following week? And we may look at that and we may say, well, that's the pastor's job. It, it is, but it's also your job to make mm-hmm. those people feel welcome. How many of those people come back because n- nobody said hello to them? So they don't come back. Maybe a better question is how many of those visitors come back two or three weeks later or a month or two later? who have become infused into that church as part of that church body in, in really a short amount of time. That's an indication that somebody feels comfortable. That's what you're looking for Isaiah Thomas to do in Cleveland. It'd be cool if it happened in churches too. Now, I know the pastors, they invite you. If we have any guests here, meet me out in the lobby. We have a special gift for you. Maybe they give you a donut and a coffee, and you shake the pastor's hand. They give you a little gift bag with information on the church. Maybe you even get a travel mug with the church logo on it. But after that, is that is that warmth sustained? You know, where friendships are going to be established? Is there is that a true offer of friendship, or is that something that churches do to? make themselves feel good about look at us look at how welcoming we are i think it's i think that's a tough question that sometimes churches need to ask are we just going through the motions regardless of what your role in ministry is are we just going through the motions here we need to make people feel welcome i see people come to church all the time the one i go to in fact i see numbers of them go forward each year and sometimes i scratch my head and wonder where they went if you get, let's let's just say you get 50 people a year that go forward to receive Christ, or say whatever that number is, over a couple of years, well, that'd be 100, 150 people have come forward. Where are they? If you have 100 visitors a year, two or three years, you've had 300. Where are those people? Well, they never really got infused. They, they never really felt welcome. Now, there's numerous reasons, obviously, that they're not there. Maybe they were only there a one-time thing. Maybe they were vacationing in the area. Maybe, you know, they didn't speak the language. I don't know. There's there's a number of reasons. But after that first week of obligatory welcomes, were they ever really made to feel warm and welcome? We have to. Christians, we have to do a better job at this. We have to burst our little Christian bubbles. We have to, I guess clicks is a hot button term I ought to use there. Mm-hmm. We have to get out of our clicks and welcome people, and not just week one, but establish relationships. I've been meditating a lot on this, that I think we leave it up to the pastor or we leave it up to the guest speaker, and we don't do our job of making a connection because that's where life impact really happens. And we, I think we have to do it better, not just to build our local church, but to build the body of Christ because people everywhere, they want to feel like they're part of something. They want to feel like they're part of a community, like, like it was for Isaiah Thomas when he leaves 
Sacramento, Phoenix, Boston. When somebody has to leave a church, it ought to be a painful thing. Man, I don't want to leave these people. These are my friends. These are my family. I guess what I'm talking about is people want to be part of a loving, caring community of friends. John 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. That's what people are looking for, a friend, somebody who cares about them. Here's just a couple of things about a friend that I think will strengthen, that do strengthen the bonds and the chemistry between people, whether it be a sports team, you know, church congregation, a workplace. There's a couple of things about friends. First off, friends pray for one another. Here's Philippians 1, verses 3 and 4. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. We should be praying for one another with a joyful heart. You know, another thing friends do is they encourage one another. They praise one another. And as I'm going down this list, think about it. How often are you praying for your friends? How often are you encouraging? How often are you passing out compliments? How often are you preferring the other person above yourself. Philippians 2 verse uh, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. How are we doing in that area, Christian? Are we, are we thinking of other people more than ourselves? A good friend listens. Now, one of the things that I do sometimes, and maybe more than I would like to think, and I think this is common among men. Somebody's telling us something, and we're quick to interject with how we would handle the situation. Mm-hmm. Here's how you solve that. Especially with with our wives, we, we tend to do this, and, and they just want us to listen. Just hearing the other person out, how are we doing in that area? Or are we too quick to offer our view? That's what a friend will do. They will listen. One more thing that a friend will do, a good friend will not only rejoice with you, but they will grieve with you. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity, Proverbs 17, 17 says. Those are just some of the things that make for a tight bond. They make for a tight sports team. It's the same things that would help benefit a church. How how are we doing there? Are we praying for one another? Are we encouraging one another, thinking of one another as more highly than ourselves? Are we listening to each other? Are we rejoicing and grieving with one another? In our churches, we don't have to go over the top and give coffee mugs with church logos on there. It's a nice thing to do. I'm not against it. But what we really need to do is we need to love one another. Mm. We need to be friends with one another. How are you making friends? How are you welcoming other people into your church? And we have the greatest example that's ever lived in Jesus Christ, a friend who is so willing to even give his life to pay the debt of your sin, restore your relationship with God. I'm Rick Benson. He's Zach Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program. Time for the Red Hawks Report for this week, October 14th, 2017. The Red Hawks Report is brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. The women's volleyball team lost a pair on the road last weekend by identical 3-0 scores. On Saturday, the Red Hawks were defeated by LIU Post, despite getting strong play from freshman Grace Detweiler, who recorded eight kills, and strong performances from junior Christina Button with seven kills and senior Courtney Taylor with six kills. The women lost again on Sunday, falling to the New York Institute of Technology. 
The team is home later today, October 14th at noontime, taking on Malloy College. In soccer, St. Thomas Aquinas College came into town and swept the Red Hawks with a pair of shutouts. The Red Hawks women lost two zip, while the men fell one to zip. Both teams are back in action at home later today, hosting Queens College. Start time for the women is 1 p.m., and it's 3.30 for the men. In other action, it was the men's tennis team defeating the University of Pittsburgh at Bradford last Saturday, 9-zip, before dropping a close one to LeMoyne, 5-4, on Tuesday. Also on Tuesday, the women's tennis team defeated Houghton College by a 9-0 margin. And good luck to the women's bowling team who kick off their season this weekend in Reading, Pennsylvania. In addition to the volleyball and soccer already mentioned taking place later today, the only other Red Hawks team in action at home this week is the women's tennis team who will host LIU Post on Friday the 20th at 4 p.m. For more information on Roberts Wesleyan Athletics, including scores, highlights, and more, visit their website, robertsredhawks.com. That's robertsredhawks.com. Or you can follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Redhawks. This has been the Red Hawks Report presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. If you know a high school athlete looking to become their best self, think Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We recently won six conference titles. Our teams have made three NCAA national championship appearances, and 96 student athletes were named East Coast All-Conference. And Roberts has the only NCAA Division II program in Greater Rochester. Tell the athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Welcome back to the Beyond the Game program, mixing sports with faith. Beyond the Game is recorded in the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. You can find us at btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. We're glad to have you with us for the hour. If you're joining us late, you can always go back. Go back and listen to our podcast. It's available on our website. It's available on iTunes. It's available on Google Play and other places. Each week, listeners from all over the world. All over the United States have the program automatically downloaded to their favorite device. That's what some good folks in Sweet Home, Oregon did this past week. No song about Sweet Home, Oregon. I know there's Alabama, but no song about Sweet Home, Oregon. This doesn't roll off the tongue the same way. Well, at least maybe there is. I guess I should say, I say that, but I'm, I'm going to get calls now from Sweet Home, Oregon saying, you never heard the song? Lots of fossil wood, though, in Sweet Home. Lots of fossil wood. It's been it. It's actually been on the Travel Channel on their Cash and Treasures program. It's built on a petrified forest there. Oh, cool! Also, three covered wooden bridges spanning. There's a number of waterways out there, but they still have three wooden bridges, covered wooden bridges. Sweet Home Oregon is the home to the Oregon Jamboree, a three-day country music festival, camping festival that's been there since 1992, has attracted some of country music's biggest acts. It is also the birthplace of L.A. Chargers center Matt Slauson, who also spent time with the Bears and the New York Jets. Thanks for listening, Sweet Home Oregon, and thank you wherever you may be. It's now time to hand hand things over to Zach. He can take control of this week's shenanigan statements. All right, truth or shenanigans, Yankees manager Joe Girardi will be back next season. What do you think? Let's start with you this week. I think he will, um, for much of the same reason that I kind of wasn't sure about the Red Sox firing John Farrell. Is I don't know who's out there. And we've seen that Girardi, he always seems to get the most out of his teams. He's definitely got this team into a place where nobody expected them to be. 
And yeah, he has his faults. I think we've all complained multiple times about his handling of bullpens, etc. But he's a good manager. He's a good fit for the team. They're comfortable with him. I don't see a reason why he wouldn't be back. I agree with you. I call shenanigans on the statement that he's not going to have his contract renewed. I believe he will. Admittedly, he does. He leaves you scratching your head at times. But that's a tough job. Mm-hmm. There's 162 games plus playoffs, and you make one wrong move, and the press is all over it. And game two against Cleveland, look, we all know that wasn't his best managing job. We yeah. all we get it. And it happens that way. It happens in all our lives where, look, you make a mistake, and then you follow that up with a mistake, and, and then you follow that one up. And all of a sudden, it's just become one of those days. Mm-hmm. But as you said, he gets the most out of his players and – also, as you said, who else are you going to get? I think the Yankees will resign him. That is, as long as he wants to come back, I suppose. Number two, ESPN's latest NFL power rankings have moved the Jacksonville Jaguars from number 24 all the way up to number 12 and labeled them a legitimate playoff contender with an 82.2% chance of making the postseason. So truth or shenanigans, we should pump the brakes on the Jaguars. I hate those percentages, and ESPN obviously loves them because they're mm-hmm. on everything. I, I say sh- shenanigans. They have wins over the Texans, Ravens, Steelers. Those are, That's a pretty good resume. They also have a blowout loss to Tennessee on there, who, mm-hmm. who I think is a pretty good team. I maintain they're a pretty good team. And they have a loss to the New York Jets who have been playing better than anyone thought they would. I'm not sure I believe that the Jags are the 12th best team in the NFL but they've proven themselves. I don't think we need to pump the brakes, but I don't think we need to hit the accelerator yet either. Still early. It is. Um, I agree with the statement. I think we should pump the brakes a little bit. Look, they're an elite defense. They are one of the top scoring defenses in the league. Uh, Leonard Fournette is the real deal at running back. Um, he looks tremendous. They're thin at wide receiver after Allen Robinson was hurt. My biggest concern with the Jaguars is they don't have a real quarterback. They have Blake Bortles. He's terrible. So I think if you had a real a real quarterback, I've I've heard speculation that they'll try to swing a trade for Eli Manning and go all in. I don't know that Eli Manning's that great of a quarterback, but you know he's better than Blake Bortles. But I, look, I think they're a great defense. I think the defense is going to steal a few games for them. But I think, as you mentioned, they're also going to drop a few games to some teams that will leave you scratching your head. So. I think they're good. I don't think they're great. I don't think they're a playoff team. So I'm going to, I'm going to agree with the statement. Those same ESPN power rankings dropped the Oakland Raiders down to number 15, gave them only a 12.3% chance of reaching the postseason. So truth or shenanigans, the Raiders will miss the playoffs. I, shenanigans. I don't think they will. This was a team that was a Super Bowl contender who, who might be hard pressed to win their division. Granted, how, based on how well Kansas City's been playing. But they should be very much in, in line for a wild card spot. This is a good team. They originally thought they had lost Derek Carr for six to eight weeks or more. But I think they're going to get a lift because he looks like he's ready to play. Might even play this weekend from what I'm hearing. Yeah. And they'll get a lift from that. At You know what? At two and three, they've not been what we anticipated but that's just one game under 500. This is still a deep and talented roster. I think they still make the playoffs. I say shenanigans as well. I think they're a very good team. Um, I think I picked them to win the division. Losing your quarterback for one game or so sucks. But, I mean, he's coming right back. 
He's a great quarterback. Now, their division is a really tough division. The Chiefs might be the best team in the whole AFC, but I think that they can win enough games to at least keep themselves in the conversation till the end of the season. So I don't think that here before week six, we can say they're going to miss the playoffs. My AFC Super Bowl pick, the Tennessee Titans, fell to two and three, two and three on Sunday with a loss to the Miami Dolphins and also fell to number 23 in those ESPN power rankings. So truth or shenanigans, my Super Bowl pick is going to miss the playoffs. You know, I call shenanigans on this too. I, that's still a good team. The Texans lost J.J. Watt for the season last week, and in my opinion, that changes the dynamic of, of the Texans. So the Titans have been confusing, no doubt about it, about what kind of team they really are. Losing to the Dolphins wasn't good. Uh, the loss to, te- to the Texans was humiliating. I mean, that was mm-hmm. a blowout, but they're still a good team. They have a – no, I shenanigans, Zach. I think they're going to be all right. I say shenanigans as well. Look – in any other division, they might be in some trouble. But in that division with the Texans, who lost two of their best defensive players, with the Jaguars, who we've just said, maybe we should pump the brakes on a little bit, and the Colts, who might never win again, the door is wide open for them to walk through into the playoffs. Marcus Mariota is getting healthy. He'll be back soon, possibly this week. Um, same situation, I think, as the Raiders. They lost their quarterback for a little while. He's coming back. They'll be fine. Yeah, and, and they're two and three, like the Raiders. Mm-hmm. That's just one game under five hundred. I'm not worried about them yet. Last but not least, there are three remaining winless NFL teams: the 49ers, your Giants, and the Cleveland Browns. Truth or shenanigans? Of those three winless teams, the Giants will have the best record at season's end. I agree, and maybe that's just the fan in me refusing to admit that my team could be as bad as the Niners and the Browns. But, and again, maybe they are. Going into the season, I, I thought as many people who did, many people who are smarter than I am, that this was a playoff contender, and some even thought Super Bowl, but I, I thought that was a bit of a stretch. It's hard to imagine that we could have all been this far off mm-hmm. on the New York Giants. Now, granted, everybody's hurt. Dominique rogers Cromartie is just gone, walked out, and mm-hmm. that now is suspended. That The team is in chaos, but I still don't think they're as bad as the Browns or the 49ers. And I'm, I'm with you there. Um, I, I agree. I think, you know, of those two teams, look, say all you want about Eli Manning, but he's been good. He's won Super Bowls. He's not a bad quarterback. The Browns just benched their starter to start their second string, and the 49ers have Brian Hoyer. So I think when you look at the amount of talent on those teams, the Browns are up and coming, but I think it's going to take a little time. The Giants, even without some of their weapons, it's not saying much, but I think that the Giants can win the most games out of those three. We got more to do. Come on back on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. It's here. Ram Sports Network. Christian Sports Television. That's right. Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College, where athletics are fundamental to our commitment to educate for character. 
Our athletic program is strong and getting stronger every year. We offer 17 varsity sports, from lacrosse and basketball to track and field and soccer, and the only Division II athletic program in the area. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. For years, we've been hearing how soccer was about to explode in the United States. Heck, I I think I heard that when I was a kid. Play soccer, they said. You know, you'll be part of the next big thing. And clearly, based on participation alone, it's a sport that young people, they undoubtedly love to play it. Mm -hmm. But it has been argued here on this program by these hosts, with the exception of a couple of weeks every few years, very few people are interested in soccer. As a spectator sport, sure. We watch the Olympics. We watch the World Cup. And I get it. You're hardcore soccer fans. They're going to watch the MLS. They're going to watch the Premier League games. But overall, people aren't really into soccer as a spectator sport, not counting moms and dads who go out and watch your kid playing soccer on, you know, throughout right. the summer. By now, you've heard that the men's U.S. national team failed to qualify for the World Cup competition next year in Russia. And this, Zach, my goodness, this is a disaster for anybody intent on growing that sport here in America. That's a disaster. To not have your top team playing in the most important tournament the sport has to offer, that sets the game back years in terms of growing the sport. Most people aren't going to miss it. I mean, who's, who's going to miss soccer? It's not part of their routine. You would miss baseball. If spring came along and there was no baseball, you would miss that. Mm-hmm. If football season rolled along and all of a sudden there was no football there to be seen, you would miss it. You're not going to miss soccer because you're only looking for it every few years. And if you didn't have it, well, it must be next year that I'm looking for it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be missed. But what is missed is an opportunity to present the sport to potential fans. You're not going to have that opportunity because we're going to turn, nobody's going to watch the World Cup because if the United States isn't into it, we don't care. You know, again, your hardcore fans are going to watch, but you get my point. Making matters worse, they lost to a team that they probably would have beat 99% of the time. I mean, they lost to Trinidad and Tobago. When it mattered most, they didn't get it done. And we all know America loves its heroes. We talked earlier in the show about Didi Gregorius, two home runs. We love our Aaron Rodgers, our Michael Jordan, Derek Jeter, David Ortiz, guys that step up in those clutch situations and get the job done, lead their team to victory. Carmelo Anthony, oh, wait a minute, I'm getting carried away there. (laughs) But you get my point. Get the job done and America loves you. You fail regularly in those situations and America passes you by as somebody that, well, they had a lot of talent, but they really, you know, and Alex Rodriguez comes to mind. Mm -hmm. They label you as a compiler, somebody who, you know, you, you got a lot of home runs, but you did it in times when it didn't matter much on mm-hmm. teams that really weren't playing for anything. I mean, is that fair? Probably not, but that's the way it is. You can count on one hand the number of players or teams that really were able to successfully embody that guise of lovable loser. Mm-hmm. Who comes to mind right away? The uh, Cubs. The, the Cubs. Everybody that, but other than that, can you think of somebody? Maybe, maybe the Cleveland Browns. But nobody else really embodies lovable loser. I don't understand why the U.S. can't be successful in soccer. Well, here's the thing. 
Our women's teams have been very successful. I don't know what the deal is with our men's team. I think the women's game is, I'm not a soccer fan, we all know that, a little more enjoyable to watch anyways, but our men just cannot get it together. <laughs> you're, you're setting me up, Zach. You're wanting me to say that it's women's sports and it does not matter. Because on the world stage, the level of competition in women's sports is not the same as it in, as it is in men's. So it's, I'm not taking anything away with what the ladies have done, but it's not the same level of competition. I'm going to get tons of hate mail, but that's just that's a reality. <laughs> hey, you said it, not me. The U.S. goes to the Olympics, and we're always the top medal winner, if not the top, you know, right there. Name the sport, and with few exceptions, the United States can produce somebody or some team that's going to compete. The U.S., we can pay its coaches, pay the coaches, pay the trainers well. We have great facilities. Why can't they put on a men's soccer team that can compete with the world's best? I get it. The ladies are great. You would think with the number of young people playing the sport that it be it would translate into one of the great feeder programs in the entire world. But apparently that's not the case. And apparently Lexi, Alexi Lalas was right. You remember the former defender? For the U.S. national team years ago, played in the World Cup. He was about a month or so ago. He ripped this national team after they had lost to Costa Rica and then tied Honduras. Lost to Costa Rica and tied Honduras. We should be so much better than that. He called them underperforming tattooed millionaires. Lawless is now a commentator for Fox Sports. He was doing a MLS game and, and he just went down a list on live TV of player after player. He called out Tim Howard, Clint Dempsey, Michael Bradley, Josie Altator, challenging each one individually to do better. And some of those, he challenged them to not rest on their past laurels. He challenged the head coach, Bruce Arena, left them with this question, quote, so what are you guys going to do? Are you going to continue to be a bunch of soft, underperforming, tattooed millionaires? You are a soccer generation that has been given everything. You are a soccer generation who's on the verge of squandering everything. So now it's time to pay it back. Make us believe again. You don't owe it to yourselves. You owe it to us. They do. They have these great facilities. What do they do? They go out and lose to Trinidad and Tobago 2-1. to one. Bruce Arena called it disappointing. Disappointing? Zach, that's probably the most embarrassing loss in the history of United States soccer. That is a terrible loss. Michael Bradley said it was a perfect storm. It was Trinidad and Tobago. You should have beaten them had you rode there in dodgy boats and played them <laughs> on no sleep. And now you got one of Trinidad's uh, assistant coaches talking about how his team had extra fire to repay the U.S. for disrespecting. Now, look, man, you're Trinidad and Tobago. Let's not get carried away here. You got a good win. Now just go back and be yourselves, will you? In addition to Bradley's chalking it up to a perfect storm of events, Tim Howard said nerves play into it. They had a good game plan, a thousand different things. Please stop making excuses. Please step up your game. The reality is the effort was not there. The first 45 minutes, you sleepwalk through the game practically. It just, it wasn't a sufficient enough effort to be a clearly less talented team. Mm -hmm. I get it, they won, but they took advantage of sloppy and lazy approach. The U.S. started making excuses before the match even started. 
they showed up there, and this is where the Trinidad and Tobago got insulted. The U.S. showed up there and started complaining about the practice conditions. It had rained. The field was covered in water. The players go out on the field. They already had been taped up, had their ankle tapes on, their shoes on. So rather than walk through the water, because as I said, they just had them been taped and, and put their shoes on, they were carried across the water. That embarrassed the Trinidad team. It, it, it humiliated them because they were they, the U.S. was were, were insulting them because of their playing conditions. But you are showing your pampered posterity when you are the U.S. national team and you're getting carried across a water puddle. That's ridiculous. But even after they lost, they were still in contention to sort of back into a World Cup position. The pieces didn't fall into place. And one of those pieces was a ghost goal. Panama got a goal that never crossed the goal line. In the, in the rules, it has to, the, the entire ball has to cross. The ball didn't cross the goal line, but a goal was awarded. Panama wins, and soccer fans have been going nuts ever since. Look, counting that goal for all intents and purposes, that was not a goal. Look, that's garbage. We get it, but that's so soccer. You know, mm-hmm. that is so soccer. There's always this dodgy edge to soccer that leaves you questioning the integrity of some of the matches. Yeah. And no doubt it's soccer. But I'll say the same thing I'll say when uh, an umpire or a referee blows a call that costs somebody a game. You need to play well enough that it's not in the hands of somebody else. Mm-hmm. You need to do that. The U.S. had an opportunity to make sure they moved on without having to rely on Panama losing or somebody else doing something but they didn't get it done. Now, hopefully, this team stops making excuses. Hopefully, they don't buy into these excuses, and, and they start examining their hearts for the game. Are we too pampered? Are, are, are we really giving it our best effort? Are we properly training ourselves? Are we properly training our eventual replacements? All, by the way, which are good questions for Christians to ask themselves as well. We could be pretty good at making excuses, mm-hmm. especially, you know, when it comes to covering our faults or not wanting to do what God wants us to do. I was tired. I didn't have the, the time. Someone, someone gave me the wrong information. I had the wrong date. Zach is the one who said a soccer segment would be good for ratings. <laughs> we have millions of excuses ready to go at a moment's notice. And believers have no shortage when it comes to following God's commands. It's not my skill. It's not my gift. I already serve. Somebody else needs to step up. Well, that's the preacher's role. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm, I, I'm too old. I'm too young. I, I, I'm too good looking. I'm not good looking enough. The, the list goes on and on and on and on. Even Moses, one of the great biblical heroes, one of the great men of faith, lift, listed there in Hebrews chapter 11, that famous Hall of Fame faith chapter in the Bible. In verses 23 to 29 of Hebrews 11, it talks about Moses' faith. Even he made excuses. Apparently, Moses didn't rest with those excuses, though. At some point, he evaluated and stepped up and, and rose to the occasion and became a great leader, a great man of God. But even after he had given God his, here am I, Lord, when confronting God at that burning bush, he dragged his feet a little. Here's Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go up into Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses was content being a shepherd, especially when it came down to, should I confront Pharaoh? No, pretty good being a shepherd. He made excuses. Who am I? Who am I? I wondered the same thing that 
many of us, like, who am I to do that? I shouldn't be doing this. Shouldn't it be somebody more qualified, more talented, more experienced, more prepared? But God often chooses the most unlikely people. You can think of Gideon. You can, you can think of Joseph. You can think of David. You can think of me and you. God looks past who we think we are and sees who we can be if only we trust him. He sees our potential. He sees an opportunity to use broken vessels such as ourselves for his glory, to fulfill his ultimate purpose for both our own benefit as well as somebody else's. Two verses later, we see that the dialogue is still going on. God didn't accept Moses' first excuse. He, he pressed more. So Moses tried again telling God that he didn't have the necessary answers to do the job. This sounds like a lot of believers when it comes to evangelizing. Exodus 3.13 says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Moses questioned his ability. He used that as an excuse. Uh, you know, we do the same thing. I, I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know how to answer their questions. How If somebody asks me something I don't know, that's why I don't share my faith. Remember, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. I mean, this is a guy that was an educated man, uh, like many of us. He made He made this about himself. He... He completely overlooked the point, I think. God was calling Moses, not because it was about Moses, but because it was about God. (laughs) Chapter 4 opens, Moses is still making excuses. God was asking him to to just be willing to be used, to be a vessel and bringing about uh, an answer to a promise that he had made to Abraham. Exodus 4.1, Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Even though we put it differently, Moses is doing what many of us do, giving excuse after excuse to get out of what God is asking them to do. And perhaps we give good reasons. I mean, this seems like Moses is giving good reasons. But ultimately, what we're doing is failing to trust God, to simply follow his command. Moses felt inadequate. We sometimes feel inadequate. He didn't think he could answer the people's questions. We sometimes think people will ask us stuff we don't know. And we see he feels vulnerable. And here in this last one, they're not going to believe me. Why bother? Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. Yet oftentimes, when faced with an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, we give the same excuse Moses was giving. We feel inadequate. We don't know what to say, or we think, why bother? Because nobody's going to believe us. There are other excuses as Moses continued this debate with God, but God didn't let Moses hide behind his fear. He equipped Moses to overcome it. And though it took a while for Moses to to accept the call and get moving, he did eventually do it, and miraculous things took place. Moses' faith grew, and though he was slow to respond, he remained faithful until his death. The insecure Moses that we see there in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 is the same great man we see later in Scripture, that obedient, that courageous, that strong man. And God is calling each of us in the same way. No, not to lead his people across the Red Sea, but just to be obedient. God works with each of us where we are, takes us to where he wants us to be. 
We just need to be willing. We need to be obedient. We need to quit making excuses. Benjamin Franklin wrote, He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. So let me ask you, has God called you? If he has, he will equip you. He will enable you. He will protect you. He will be with you every step of the way. Are you obeying his commands? Are you sharing the word with others and making disciples? Or how about this? Maybe he's calling you to himself. Maybe you've come to the realization that you're a sinner and you need God's grace and God's forgiveness. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is calling you to salvation because he loves you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, it's easy to love those who love you first. That's easy. But loving somebody who doesn't like you, who doesn't love you, well, that's more difficult. But God loved you while you were a sinner and while you were essentially an enemy of God. Jesus was obedient to the Father's call and he went to the cross to die so that you might know eternal life. And he did this even though he knew your sins, even though he knew the kind of sinner you are. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And he's willing to forgive you and he's waiting for you to call on him. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't make excuses. There is no better time than right now because there's no guarantee of tomorrow. Answer God's call. Get past the excuses. And give your heart to him. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The Bible says anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you want to be saved from your sins this morning, ask God to forgive you. Pray to him and tell him you know you're a sinner. You know Jesus died on the cross. You know that death was sufficient to pay the debt of sin. Admit your guilt and ask him to forgive you. And then start a new life. And, and instead of fighting God's authority, seek after righteousness. Repent from sins. Desire to grow closer to God by spending time with him regularly in his word. If you want to know more about what it means to know Jesus, please visit our website, btgprogram.com. You can also email me here at the show, hosts, that's plural, hosts at btgprogram.com. Even if you just want to ask us to pray for you, uh, just send us a note. We'd be glad to do that. He's Barletta. I'm Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Hey, it's Zach. 
If you're a fan of unsolved mysteries, mythical monsters, murder whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. Welcome back to the Beyond the Game program. As we close out the week by telling you what what it is we like from this past week, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He looked back on life and was well pleased that he had remained committed to his work for the Lord Jesus Christ. What I like this week is the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, confirming his commitment to his team following the what really amounted to a media storm, which questioned his commitment following last Sunday's loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, admittedly, Roethlisberger brought it on himself when he wondered out loud if he has what it takes anymore after the game. On Wednesday, Roethlisberger said the media is much more panicked than the team is and that he doesn't care what talking heads have to say about his level of commitment or the fire he has inside. I think it was pretty clear that the media seized on Roethlisberger's speaking out of frustration after he threw for five interceptions. And it was good to hear Big Ben reaffirm his passion for the game. The lesson here is this. Don't take what someone says when they're swayed emotionally and start spreading it around like that's the full conclusion of the matter. Mm -hmm. We've all said things out of frustration. We've said things out of joy, exhilaration, or whatever. I know the media has a job to do. But questioning Ben Roethlisberger's commitment based on something he said immediately following a game without even looking back on a career that would suggest something completely otherwise was simply making a story where there wasn't one. Ben Roethlisberger's commitment and passion like is what that? I like this you week. Like but I like this week where Todd Frazier's post-game comments after that uh, big Yankees Game 5 win that we talked about earlier, where he said, honestly, he said this one was for Joe, meaning Joe Girardi, that the team had Joe Girardi's back after that uh, managerial blunder that he made in the second game. And he said that they had gone to Joe Girardi and told him, We've got your back. We'll take care of it for you. And they came through. They got it done for their manager. So Todd Frazier's post-game comments were what I liked this week. You like week. that? You like that? And I like it too, Zach. This has been the Beyond the Game program. Please stop by our website, btgprogram.com. Not only can you find out more information about the program, you can listen to past broadcasts. You can also find information about what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And for those of you who may feel so led, we could use your support. You can make a donation to our radio ministry right there at the website. It takes money to be able to put this program on the air so that we can present the gospel to listeners all around the world using Sports Talk Radio. We're needful. We're grateful for your support. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at this same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. Everybody.